0: This week we have Katrina Jones on the podcast and you know she spends half an hour a week in her property business because she grew it, she hustled, she hired a property manager who then tripled the business who runs it day to day and she just works in half an hour a week which is probably what a lot of us want uh, and even if we don't I mean it's it's pretty good to be able to just do that now we speak about how she got to that part, how she started seven years ago, where the business is now. It's a very interesting listen. We talk about some rent-to-rent tips and how you should always diversify your portfolio. We talk about how to choose you know, a good education provider or trainer. So there's a wide variety of things here, not just relating to rent-to-rent. Katrina, welcome to the Tech Talks podcast.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You know, you have a very interesting story, and I think the outcome of your story, which is, you know, passive income, which we're gonna gonna talk about in some detail later, is incredible. You know, when we spoke on I think it was Instagram, you you know, when you told me your story, I just was like, What? I had to read this a couple <laughs> of times because I thought, you know, you've achieved what a lot of people, including myself and probably a lot of the listeners, want to achieve. Um, so, before we get into you know what you do in property, what were you doing before property, and what led you into it?
1: Yeah, of course. So, before I discovered property, I was doing nothing to do with property. <laughs> um, in a really, really small nutshell, I left the UK when I was about nineteen. Um, I'd suffered from really bad crippling anxiety. Um, and I just decided one day, you know, I've had enough and I want to start again. Um, so I hadn't hadn't really done any further education. I didn't do A-levels or uni or anything like that. Um, I literally started my first little cleaning business when I was 13 and I just couldn't really wait to leave school because I just wanted to chip in within the household and, and start to earn money. Um which I did but when I hit 19 I thought I've had enough I can't deal with with all of this and and I went off and just did a little bit of traveling with the tiny amount of cash I had saved um and one thing led to another and I ended up in Australia Hmm. and while I was there um it took about four weeks for me to completely run out of cash (laughs) um and I decided to get myself my first ever job um which was just a a really average kind of sales rep job. And it was actually on 100% commission. So when I told my parents, I was like, this is so exciting. I can earn as much as I like. And they were like, yes, you can also earn nothing. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, you guys are so negative. So I went for it. Um, And one thing led to another. And over the course of the next five years, I went from – never having done a sale in my life or knowing what sales even really was, um, to working my way up within the company and being sent around Australia and New Zealand to help open other sales offices and speak at big conferences and things. Um, and so within within those five years, I won quite a few awards for what I did and ended up going into business with the lady that owned that company. Um, but then was given 28 days to leave the country. My residency was declined and literally I got back to the UK and thought, okay, (laughs) it's time (laughs) to start again from the very beginning. And I was just blessed and lucky enough to be introduced to property. And when I found out more about it, I thought, my goodness, this is it. Like, this is totally fate and destiny. This is what I'm clearly meant to do next, you know?
0: Wow. And, I mean, that's quite a a sharp end to what was a real (laughs) real upwards trajectory You know, then kind of getting into business you know setting up your own sort of business with her potentially and then just being told by you know the government bye we don't care about your situation or your life bye Um, which sucks so you came back to the UK and you discovered property Mm -hmm. and like what what obviously we all know kind of about property but did you go on a course did you read a book what was that I guess defining moment
1: yeah, so the defining moment I'll remember forever, it was somebody said to me, you need to come along to this event. Um, and it was a, a multiple streams of property income event at Progressive. Mm-hmm. And they used to call it the JV buying frenzy. And I just said, you know, it <laughs> sounds like a little bit of a like weird thing. I just, I really didn't get it. But I thought I shouldn't be sceptical because I've just done five years of sales. <laughs> so I should go, go and be with my people <laughs> and hear <laughs> what they have to say. So I went along and I sat in the front row like the geek that I am. And I just, <laughs> my eyes are wide and my mouth was open. And I was like, what have I just walked into? And there were all of these people talking on stage about, passive income and they weren't just talking about it in theory like they'd done it mm. um And I'd never had a credit card in my life. My mum thought, you know, it was the worst thing you could ever do, which obviously if it's for bad debt, I couldn't agree more. But I just thought this is really an investment in myself, my life and my future. So I got my first ever credit card and I actually purchased every single course that they were selling. So they sold individual courses and then they sold this huge like kryptonite package at the end, which was everything with the cherry on top. And I just thought to myself, you know, there's no point doing things in halves. If I'm going to do this, then I'm, I'm going to do it properly. So I learned every single strategy inside out so that I knew the one that I chose was perfect for me. Because I, I was aware of this shiny penny syndrome where you start one thing and then you hear about something else. So you you dabble in that. And then two years later, you have put your fingers in 400 pies, but you haven't really gotten anywhere fast. <laughs> and I really didn't want that to happen. So I learned all of the strategies and I think it was the moment when the gentleman stood up um, and spoke about rent to rent and what it can do for you and how it works that I thought that's it this is literally it's been designed for my personality for my goals like this is perfect Um, and and so I chose rent to rent and the rest is history really.
0: And if you don't mind me asking how much does all of that cost is it like 25
1: grand? No, no. Well, bear in mind, this is nearly seven years ago. Uh. <laughs> I think, um, I think that personally, I spent about, I think between eight to 10,000.
0: Okay, because I think now I feel like it costs a bit more. I mean, it probably yeah. does with inflation and all that stuff. Yeah. and And I think what's important for listeners is that obviously gave you your defining moment. But for everyone else, they don't necessarily have to spend that much to get their defining moment. They they may have to to spend more, they may have to spend less. They may have to listen to you and be like, right, this is what I want to do. So everyone listening, don't feel like you have to necessarily kind of spend that. So when all these courses had a, hopefully a good grasp of sort of property as a whole, as a broad subject and rent to rent. Now, seven years ago, because rent to rent right now is like a big, thing I like before you just said that I thought it was you know fairly new but it sounds like it isn't so you left these courses obviously in debt some debt um like what was your first step to then uh, you know becoming a property investor
1: so um I would say that um Tej can I just say one thing about spending on your property education Mm -hmm. Because I've just, I've just kind of gone in and said how much I spent. But what you've said is so valid. It's, it's so not necessary. I knew nothing about property. But I think when you know a little bit, or you understand what you want to get from property or gain, it kind of narrows the pool of, of, of investment strategies that you could use yes. you know and i didn't have a clue what i wanted to do or where i wanted to go so going to some of these events or networking or something you can choose your strategy without spending a penny yes. and any decent course in the uk that really covers everything you need is probably between you know one to two maybe three k max um so I'm really glad you said that. There's absolutely no need to spend that much. And I'm not suggesting anyone goes out and gets a credit card and does so. So, um, yeah, you're completely right there.
0: No, I appreciate that. And, and there's always ways to get training even cheaper, like on one-on-one basis. I know that people have been on this podcast before who do it. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, awesome. So, yes, when I, so I left my training and I thought, this is it. I'm going to be a property investor and I want to start rent to rent as a strategy. Um but I had to get a job when I came back to the UK purely to pay my rent and bills and things. I was literally unemployed when I got back here. Um, and I struggled so much to to find a job um, that I would love because I'd done something I loved so much in Australia. Um, but I finally found a sales job in the IT industry. And I started, and I, the thing I really struggled with was I was in a full-time job but I had no passion for it, but I was so excited to do the actual thing I wanted to do, which was rent to rent. So there was quite um, like a sticky period of, I had to be somewhere for 40 hours a week. I really didn't want to be. Um, And there was something I'd rather do with my time so much more. It was so frustrating. Every time I'd make a sales call, I'd think, Oh, that could have been a call for my company, but instead (laughs) I'm making these people so much money. Um, So I, I, my website, and I started things in the background, and I, I was doing quite well within the sales role, and I got I got asked to go and speak to the um to the sales director one day in the boardroom, and it was quite a big boardroom, and I walked in, and the sales director was at one end of the table, and the HR was next to him, and they'd kind of pulled a chair out for me at the other end of the table, and they asked me to take a seat. And they asked me if I knew why I was there. and I said, (laughs) is it a promotion? (laughs) Because I thought I'd done really well. And and I knew I could do more than I was doing within the company. And they said, unfortunately, it's not. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, we have to let you go. Um, And you've got two choices basically you can either go and gather all of your stuff yourself and not speak to anybody or we can gather it for you and meet you outside take your security passes and and kind of see you off at the door and I honestly didn't see it coming and I I still don't know to this day why but I think they found my website and didn't want the conflict um so I left and I thought well I can't tell my family that I've been fired because that just sucks so I went to Starbucks I got up and put my suit on and got my laptop and left the house every day um and just decided to start my business on the side so I did my first rent to rent within the first week or so of being fired um so that when I told my family look I've I've actually been fired I could then say however (laughs) it's okay I can pay my bills my rent I've replaced my income um and doing that one I just thought is this it like where's the catch is it really this simple And and I just went from there and did my first six in six months first 10 in the first year and it was so much fun it was it was really really fun
0: wow and you know what that I know because I've been fired as well and it, <laughs> I had a genuine reason because I just didn't give a shit anymore and I was performing badly so that, that but I, I think for both of us it, it was a defining moment in life because you know if if you hadn't for example you may have continued in the job and I'm not saying you would have got comfortable you don't sound like you would have but it maybe would have taken longer to get where you are now or it would have been different but that moment meant that hey get your first rent rent in a week like you could have done that four weeks ago potentially and it's I think yeah. moments like that in the moment are like, oh my God, like bills, et cetera, but it must've helped you and shaped you be who you are today. So, you know, so you came out, got your first rent to rent. Now at that time, how did you, how did you find out where you're going to invest? And when I say where firstly, I guess, I mean, is it where you live? Is it somewhere else? And then within that, how did you find a specific area that you thought would work for rent to rent as a HMO?
1: Yeah. So, um, the area that I invested was simply the, the place I lived, um, and I, I always suggest to people if you live in a city, that's obviously the city to invest in for rent to rent. I'm not talking necessarily about purchasing because obviously that's a different strategy. But rent to rent needs to be done as close to your doorstep as physically possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no city in the UK that I've found in seven years that doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I chose York because that's where I'm based and. I didn't really look at specific smaller areas. I just knew in my head, look, if someone can walk into the city within 10 to 15 minutes and the house is nice, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. So that was literally the the criteria of my first property.
0: Okay, and how did you... Okay, so with rent to rent sometimes you have to pay a deposit and a month up front. How did you afford that on that first deal?
1: So... um The rent-to-rent company is Kendall Bailey, um, and we don't pay rent up front, and we don't pay deposits. It's just one of the basic things that we definitely don't ever do. Um, The reason why we would never, ever pay a deposit is for two things. The security, if a tenant doesn't pay the rent, well, obviously, that's not a thing because we've just guaranteed the rent on a legal contract. So that takes that need out of the equation. And the second thing is damages. Well, the tenants themselves will be paying a deposit. Um, so if the landlord really wants that in their name, they can have that in their name. Um, but we have the deposit there. Plus, we also invest into the property a little to bring it up to our boutique standard. So... For someone to ask for a deposit, it's kind of taking the mickey. <laughs> and I also come at it, I kind of come at it as if like, you know, are you joking? Did you not just hear the service we provide? So obviously we're super professional and polite when we explain that, but um, that that's not a thing. And, and rent up front, we always negotiate a, a four-week rent-free period because we're investing our own capital into the property, we need to advertise it, we need to market it. And if we're about to guarantee landlord rent for three to five whole years, they never have to even think about the property. We don't charge tenant find fees, we don't charge management fees, and we don't charge commission on maintenance. To ask for four weeks while we just get it up and running is totally reasonable. So they're two things we would never do. However, if it's absolutely essential. And on my first ever property, I hadn't done this. And I'd negotiated a really low rent. And she said, um, so um, how do you pay the deposit? And I said, oh, we don't we don't pay a deposit. And she just looked at me and she said, you do on this property. <laughs> I said, <laughs> okay. It was only 1500 And I just used an interest-free overdraft and factored it into my refurbishment costs. But that was the first and last time... in in seven years I ever paid a deposit because as I walked away I thought this is ridiculous you know I've got three and a half grand's worth of tenants deposit sitting in my bank account and I've just put three grand into her property for her to have my 1500 quid sitting there is just a bit silly you know
0: yeah and you know, in that first year, did you did you find that a lot of agents sort of were like, No, we don't understand it, we're staying away, we're scared of it, or were like, Nope, we don't do this, or landlords sort of didn't understand you, or or do you think that those, all those obstacles can be kind of moved?
1: So I was really, really lucky, Tej, and I know we spoke about this before we we came on the podcast together, but coming from a sales background I understood that business had nothing to do with the strategy and everything to do with you. And one of the things that's really important is law of averages. And so I I knew in anything you're ever trying to sell or any service you're trying to provide, there'll be so many no's before you get your yes. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what the law of averages would be. But I did know if I was really positive, and I was focused, and I was excited about what I did, and I just kept on track that after so many no's, there'd be a yes, and again, and again, and again. So I just calculated that during my first lot of calls. And out of every roughly every 10 agents you speak to, one of them will be like your best friend back pocket agent. So those no's are totally unavoidable it's not realistic that every agent and landlord is going to want to work with you but when you understand it's just a numbers game and it's not about rent to rent it's just kind of ticking off the tallies until you get there there's no emotion there's no frustration it's just black and white this is how many no's I need to get until I get to the yes so I didn't really find that the reason people were saying no is because they wanted to stay away or they didn't understand no I think the people that said no Just simply didn't deal with HMOs they were dealing with resi properties and I I don't convert resi into HMO because it costs 10 times more Um, I deal with existing HMOs so student properties and that kind of thing yeah so the agents that I did speak to that did manage HMOs were really helpful Um, some have given multiple properties over to us some have just given the odd one Um, and of course look, there's agents that are going to say, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm not interested, but it's just a numbers game. And so if they're like that and there's a property on their books that I really love and they're not willing to work with me and they don't take the opportunity, then then I may go to land registry and, and offer my services directly to the landlord, yeah. um, in which case we'll tend to sign the property anyway, if possible, you know. Yeah, Okay. I think um, I think you know the in terms of landlords because we write to landlords direct. Most of them are they're cool. They're just people like you and I. And sometimes it's so easy to fall into the mindset when you're calling and speaking to agents and landlords like as if they're trying to catch you out, as if like you're doing something wrong, <laughs> or like you're a bit sketchy or shady. And it and it I guess it may feel like that for people because. They're trying to explain it. And sometimes explaining something, there's a thin line between explaining it and justifying it and trying to like make it sound not dodgy because some people haven't heard of it. Um, but I think as long as you explain things, it's again, it comes from you. It's your self-belief. And as long as you're 100% confident in what you're doing – all you're doing is answering people's questions and explaining it. And either they're interested or they're not. But it's not hard work. It, it's fun. And I did have a landlord call once, actually. And he said, um, "He said, uh, I've, re- I've got your letter. He said, who are you? <laughs> the letter says who I am. But I just, I just, you know, you've got to be professional and friendly. And I said, oh, my name's Katrina. I'm the director of Kendall Bailey. And I explain what we did. And he said, well, I don't need you and I don't need your services. And I said, that's absolutely fine. I said, thank you so much for the call. And I apologize if I've written you a letter that you really didn't need. But obviously, I don't know who doesn't doesn't need me. So I hope I haven't wasted any of your time. And he said, look, I've got the best student properties in York and they fill up really easily and we charge super high rent. So I just I just wouldn't even understand why your service would be something I'd need. And I said to him, Look, if you've got the best student houses in York, like hats off, because that's rare. Most student landlords do need us. And the fact that you don't just says a lot about, you know, your business and your standards. So it's really actually quite refreshing to speak to a landlord like you and, and, you know, good work. He said, Well, just tell me a tiny bit more then. (laughs) So I did. Anyway, the next day I was at his house around his dining room table with his wife and his dog with a pot of tea. And it's just important to not not let people that are angry or frustrated shut you down and to just engage in the conversation kindly and calmly. And he ended up saying, you know, I've got 20 properties, but one day I won't want to manage them anymore. And it's nice to have you as someone who in the future, maybe we could hand properties to. So yeah, you get the odd person who's angry (laughs) but just remember they're never angry at you they don't know you they're angry about something else
0: (laughs) you know what i i love that because as you were telling me that and i was listening to what you were saying i was just hearing the kind of like sales training because i i I know i have a recruitment business so that is exactly how like i've learned to handle that situation whereas say two three years ago and and maybe people who haven't it might be like oh you know, who? okay, thanks, mate, bye, and put the phone down, or be like, you know, or yeah. be even be rude back. Yes. But, you know, even in your tone of voice, you were, you were genuine, because if what he was saying was true, then what you were saying is true. So, Absolutely. And, and it came across that way. And I think that's like, that's getting deep into also how we control our ego and our emotional response. But I think for everyone listening, that is like a model answer for how you handle people who are, you know, grumpy or rude for no reason. Because look, you you were at his, at his house the next day, but the first thing he said to you was like, who are you? I don't need you. Yet, <laughs> yeah, you're at his house with his dog and his and, and his wife. So that's a really good tip for everyone listening. So how many rent rents did you get in your first year again, did you say?
1: So the first year was about 10.
0: So let's, I mean, let's talk through the figures. So, I mean, I guess each rent-to-rent is, is slightly different, but I mean, in that first year, what kind of rents were you paying the landlord what kind of room rate were you getting and then what kind of profit were you getting for yourself
1: good question so the absolute so back in the day when i started the minimum minimum that i would want per property is 500 pounds per month Mm-hmm. And that's after tax, after all expenses, after refurb costs, after everything. A couple of years ago, I increased that to 600 as a minimum. And so with with all rent-to-rent companies and portfolios, you have your kind of average deals, your great deals, and then your exceptional deals. So a minimum of 600 these days really is, is the best um, and the lowest that you go. And then some deals will make around eight to nine hundred, and then the corkers might make, you know, twelve hundred ish. If you're in London and down south, then your amazing deals might be even higher than that. Um, But I'm up north, so (laughs) (laughs) so everything's a little bit lower up north. Um, In terms of guaranteed rent, we don't have an amount per room that we would offer. Every single case is done differently. So we have a negotiation model here at Kendall Bailey where we actually guarantee landlords as close to what they currently receive as physically possible. Because if you just go in and try and guarantee as low as you possibly can, so you can make as much as you possibly can, it's kind of all about you. And the best business relationships built are where it is genuinely a win-win. So we'll ask a landlord, look, how much do you currently get rent-wise? Now, whatever they say is usually not how much they actually get. They'll tell you their gross rental income. So they might say, oh, I make £3,000 a month from this student property. And then we start to dig. Now, at this point, there's no negotiation. It's simply asking questions and we'll ask them, do you experience any void periods? Because that won't be a thing because we guarantee the rent. Do you pay any bills? Because that won't happen anymore because we cover all the bills. Do you spend any time managing the property? or Alternatively, do you pay a management fee? Because if you're working with a different agent, that won't be a fee anymore. Do you pay tenant-fine fees? Because we don't charge fees. so you We find out all of their costs and outgoings in relation to the property that they currently have to pay from that gross rent that they receive. And when you're dealing with existing student properties, that amount is usually somewhere between £250 to £500 pounds a month. So straight off the bat, they've just told you, we make three grand gross, but we only actually pocket two and a half K a month. So Mm. that would then be the starting point for negotiation. So we would say, for example, we want to guarantee you as close to the two and a half K a month. However, bear in mind, we're investing our own capital. We're not charging fees. We don't take a percentage. So because of all of that, and the fact that rent's guaranteed for the next three to five years, we can guarantee you 2250. And for anybody sensible that you've had a decent conversation with, it's very clear that what you've just offered is totally worth that per month. And either they'll say yes and they'll sign, or they'll say no. And if they say no, you just you just creep up until you get to the point where the figures don't work, i.e., you're making less than six hundred a month. So it either stacks or it doesn't. So again, there's no Emotion or frustration, or it's just it is what it is, and it's this or that, it's a deal or it's a no deal. um So, yeah, that that's the figures. And then, in terms of rent that we receive, we charge a premium rent because we provide a premium service. You know, we'll make the houses gorgeous, the bills are included, they have a cleaner. We only house full time working professionals, so we tend to charge about £200, £200 or so a month more than the average room in York. Um that's because we provide a service and a home that is marginally that much more exceptional than the average house in York. So it's it's linear, if you know what I mean.
0: Mm. And then, you know, on refurbs, so obviously you make your rooms boutique and kind of suiting to your style and your your level of quality that you're happy with yes i mean would you take on a renter rent that is like an absolute tip and needs thousands and thousands of pounds or is there like a minimum level
1: (laughs) (laughs) there is definitely a maximum level when um someone called me the other day actually and i do um consultation calls for people considering training with us and he said oh Someone 's told us um, that we need at least ten thousand pounds in the bank for the first property, and I had to sit down <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> who told that so no, we would say a maximum of three to four k if you 're working with an existing h m o which is what we recommend because it 's set up to go. Why would you spend your time? convincing the agent or the landlord to completely change the use of their property then you've got the potential cost of licensing possibly the faff of planning if you're an article Four. if you're doing HMOs you find one that's already a HMO and just spruce it up a bit so there won't be mortgage implications you won't need to apply for planning the license will be in place if it's licensable or if not all of the fire safety things should be there If they're not, it's the landlord's responsibility, so they pay for everything. Um, And when we say refurbishment, it's light and it's cosmetic. So we'll do a fresh lick of paint, fresh carpet, and a few odd bits of IKEA furniture or, you know, a 250 quid, 50-inch plasma TV, Um, and then maybe 250 quid in the range on sexy pictures and fluffy cushions to make it look really nice, but you don't, you don't want to overspend. It's not your asset. So if it needs a new bathroom or a new kitchen, we just say to the landlord, look, we're about to guarantee rent for five years and we're putting in a few thousand. How about we take this as the perfect opportunity for you to invest a few thousand, bring it up to scratch, and then you really will not have to think about it for like half a decade. And quite often they will. Um, but it's also important to remember, for most people, the standard that you're trying to reach isn't the standard that you would want. (laughs) So it doesn't need to be the Ritz. You don't need to shop at John Lewis. It still needs to be gorgeous. But if you have like a a dirty old kitchen, for example, a deep clean and, you know, some sexy new little handles on the kitchen cupboards and some new liner and a brand new like kettle toaster and, and microwave set, it's enough to lift it enough for it to be 10 times nicer than every other HMO out there hmm
0: okay and you mentioned something really interesting there which is it's not your asset which is obviously the truth because you're renting it unless you you know unless you have a lease option on it then what are your thoughts on using rent to rents for long-term income and wealth
1: so rent to rent is the perfect perfect strategy for cash flow it's quick it's simple and it's easy so I look at rent to rent as a really great stepping stone into property. You'll learn everything you need to learn about HMOs and and all of that jazz. Um, And I think long term, if you want to build a business out of it, um, like I have done with Kendall Bailey and have it run without you and create that passive income, perfect. But I think that the sensible thing to do is have in your mind a goal to At some point in the future, build your own asset portfolio, whether that's from the income saved from the rent to rent business, whether that's from other funds raised through JV partners or or anything like that. It's great to get you out of your job. It's great to have the extra three to five K every month landing in the bank, but it is also sensible after a couple of years or however long it takes you to get to your goal to start looking to purchase because it's sensible. It's just sensible to have your own assets there as well, you know.
0: Hmm. Okay. So, you know, when you first. Or got into rent to rent when you were you were sort of more in the business per se yeah how how passive is rent to rent or were you you know acting as the the agent really as well for your tenants
1: yeah so there's no there's no two ways about it if you want to have the most profitable rent to rent business you are the agent so the rent to rent company does the lettings um, purely purely the rent that you'll charge because your service and properties are exceptional no normal letting agent on the high street will laugh at you (laughs) (laughs) so when i've gone in and said look i actually in the past a few years ago i've been like look i need a little bit of help i just took on three properties in a day we need some extra rooms let can you help us our rooms are 650 a month they just look as if to say are are you from york (laughs) 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 and everything that we do in terms of profit maximization is an in-house skill that the average agent just doesn't understand or have. So it's passive when you build a team. So if you enjoy, you know, I've got clients who they love working in their business. You know, they've got over 10 properties and they're they're running around, but they love it. You know, they do 40 hours a week because they love it. They wouldn't want to not work. Um, And they enjoy themselves. However, for me, After the first three months, I thought, if I do another viewing or print off another AST, (laughs) I'm literally going to have a meltdown (laughs) because this is not why I got into rent to rent So um, my first member of staff I hired within roughly the first three months. She was 16 hours a week, and she did all of the admin and the odd viewing. Um, So I just started to build a team very early on. Um, But again, the the kind of economies of scale you know each property is a minimum of 600 and that's how much you'd pay a part-time member of staff so for one property you never have to do that job again and then with your spare time you can take on another two three four so it works like that if that makes sense
0: Hmm. okay and then you know I understand that right so actually no so that was what was about six seven years ago you started a rent-to-rent yes so you know, fast forward, I guess to where we are now in in 2019 in July. Yeah. Over that time, what's changed? What have you been doing? Have you just acquired loads of rent to rents, or have you diversified, or what's been happening?
1: All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was, I think, one of the biggest challenges for me, if I'm honest, was actually building a team, um, for a few different reasons, which I won't go into. But yes, it was to build a team so that – so every time I hired a member of staff, there'd be another job I didn't have to do. But no matter, no matter how many people I hired, I still couldn't seem to step away completely mm-hmm. because – I wouldn't have to be the one sourcing the properties or project managing the refurbs or filling the rooms. But then every time anyone had a problem, they'd come to me. <laughs> and I thought, how do I write, really shake this off for good <laughs> and just completely have it successful and have everyone happy, but not have to think about it, worry about it at all. Um So I spoke to my mentor um, and he just said, look, it's time. And I was like, oh, time for what? It sounds so exciting. You need need to hire a company manager. You need to bring someone in to step into your role. They do all the hiring, the firing, they'll manage everybody, they run the company, they grow it. And I was just like, oh, this human exists. And then I (laughs) thought about it and I thought, well, there's about a million companies out there, you know, and not all of them are run by the person that started them in fact most of them aren't so I thought okay I'm taking the step um and I hired a fabulous gentleman Matthew who is the company manager for Kendall Bailey he also massively supports me on the um, educational business um and he's brilliant he had 10 times more business experience and knowledge than me. So when he stepped in, um, he actually tripled the company within the first 18 months of being with us. Um, and he just took everything. He's he's exceptional. He's an exceptional human being. I'm very, very, very grateful for him, for the team he's built, for how much he's built the company. Um, and then whilst that was going on, I've been purchasing HMOs, HMOs. Um, JVing, some just solo. Um, and that's it really. So been doing both at the same time. Obviously, running the education is is growing quite rapidly. So there's a lot of mentoring and coaching that goes on there. And then I've just done a few passion projects on the side. I do some stuff for charity and and also some give back stuff for entrepreneurs that is um really, really fun and takes up some time, but that's all of it kind of put together.
0: Wow. And so how many rent-to-rents did you have at the point where you hired him?
1: So when I hired Matt, I think I had about 12 rent-to-rents, and then I was managing a handful of properties that I'd purchased as JVs, and then we were also managing a portfolio for another landlord. Um, So on the books, we had more than 12, but rent-to-rent specifically was 12.
0: So am I right in saying that your business... Is a lettings agency, but also that will acquire rent to rent?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't confuse things, but no, we're purely a rent to rent investment company. However, the, the portfolio that we're managing for a landlord was a long story um, and it's not managed anymore. It was one off for one person, and we realised very quickly this doesn't work. We're making 10 to 15 it was a JV partner, and it was like we're making 10 to 15% which is really not much at all when we could be making between 600 to a grand on a rent-to-rent for the same amount of work Mm. so we got rid of of all of the um managed managed properties and just and now it's purely rent-to-rent we manage the ones that we own um but that's it
0: okay and then when you had 12 rent-to-rents how much profit was that bringing in you a month Roughly. 12
1: rent to rents aka my breaking point <laughs> <laughs> um so 12 rent to rents back then was somewhere around about around three to four k um maybe five max and people always think oh well if it's about a grand a property that should be 12 grand a month that's not really how it works <laughs> <laughs> you know I had offices that I was hire- hiring out kind of renting out from the owner Um I had the staff that I'd hired um, and general business expenses so I'd say I'm sorry I can't say to the penny but somewhere between three to five k a month consistently which was which I was happy with at the time
0: yeah, and it's good you mentioned the, the 12K thing because in my head I was going to ask that next. I was going to say most people would think it's a grander rent-to-rent. Rent. So yeah. it's good you've clarified. And obviously you, you're in the north, so in London, maybe we'll get close to that. Uh, but you obviously had costs and you were building something. So when Matt came in and you said, did he triple the business in 18 months?
1: He did, yeah.
0: So as of now, July 2019, how many rent-to-rents does Kendall Bailey have?
1: So we have around about 35 now um, wow. and we chose to stop so it was it was a tough decision actually but it was in it was in a meeting that we had last year and we realized that the the scalability of rent to rent was there there was a possibility but with the amount of time and staff and manpower and hours that we put in, we could make so much more doing other strategies. Um, So we got the team set, they manage and run it consistently. And they take your property on, you know, some come, some go. But all in all, we've just started looking at a deal sourcing arm of Kendall Bailey. We're looking at our first commercial conversion. And we've got a couple of things that I'm not allowed to say yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because one of them is Matthew's creation, but it's a lot more around business in general than just rent to rent. And we've been growing the education side of things. So yeah, we just decided to kind of leave it as is and focus more on the purchasing and all of the other strategies. Because like I said, it's it's a beautiful, brilliant stepping stone. Look, everybody's different. I know there are companies out there that have built hundreds and hundreds of rent to rents in their portfolio. But it did it did what it needed to do and it served its purpose. And I'm really happy for it to just run the way that it runs in the background, you know?
0: And I want to ask about your commercial conversion, but before that, I mean, and we were speaking about this off the podcast. How much time do you personally now put into that rent to rent business, I don't know, per week?
1: It's a maximum of half an hour to an hour so me and matt literally just speak on the telephone um and go through any key points any questions i have or anything he wants to run past me but it's lovely because i don't have to be here in the uk i travel a lot and so whatever time is 10am on a tuesday morning (laughs) we'll have our our 30 minutes to an hour together and we're done
0: so i mean obviously this is this is passive income right i think As much as, you know, say if I had a portfolio of 10 rent to rents or 10 buy to lets, the estate agent is still coming to me, the letting agent, sorry. So that is passive to an extent. But with you, it's like he's the shield. He's doing everything underneath. You're the absolute boss at the top who is, you know, communicating the important things and asking questions here and there. But you're not dealing with hey Katrina your tenant uh you know shut in the living room I don't know you know like (laughs) I don't know why that came to mind um I must invest somewhere weird but you know people (laughs) you're not having to deal with that so for me this is real like passive but it obviously comes at a cost because he's a human with a salary um so tell me like what I want to understand I guess and the listeners probably want to understand is how much profit are you giving away for the freedom of time
1: yeah, I'm so so glad you've asked the question because people have this illusion like that there's not a cost to having <laughs> your time, and so I'm so happy that you've asked but I think one thing I would say is that <clears throat> although although there's obviously it's a salaried position, with everybody in the team, I view us all as just the team, you know, I'm the team, they're the team. And although I'm not involved day to day, if I was needed to do anything in that company, no matter what it was, I'd step in and I'd help. Um, I don't really think of myself as as at the top. I think of myself as lucky enough to have stepped to the side because it's the team that enabled me to do that. Like I absolutely worship them. They're the most incredible people and I love them and I love what they do. So Yeah, they're they're absolutely awesome. In terms of the cost of a company manager, it's one of those. It's the same with every member of staff, really, which is you get what you pay for. And I would never recommend hiring an apprentice or someone to be trained massively in a company like a rent-to-rent company if what you want is your time. (laughs) Because as soon as you hire someone that knows less than you, they need everything out of your head consistently. So hiring someone a lot smarter than you is the best thing you can do. Um, Say the average salary up north for someone like that would be somewhere around – without <laughs> without publicly airing that yeah. salary <laughs> i would say somewhere between um the 35 to 50k a year mark is a good healthy salary for someone that's capable of doing that for you and your company
0: so i mean let's let's do some math now cause i think the the listeners will find it really interesting so let's take it off the top end let's say london price let's say 50k how much is so all the rent rents combined that you have right now yeah like Obviously, I don't want to ask your business information, but like either what sort of percentage is that salary of the turnover or how much does it take off the turnover? Because I really want people to understand you are going to lose this much money, but you're going to gain this much X, Y, Z.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. So I would be completely lying and pulling figures off the top of my head if I randomly managed to give you the percentage <laughs> <laughs> without actually pulling up my PL and and doing the calculations. So... I would just say oh, it's a really good question. And if I'd have known you'd have asked, I would have actually done <laughs> something. I mean, what we
0: I, could do is, you know, if, if you know how much they're all turning over, we, yeah. can, just, we can just take, we, if we know that and we know his, the, the cost of someone in this position, then I think that would highlight everything to people. Yeah,
1: listening. yeah, of course. Well, I mean, the, the actual turnover for the rent-to-rent company is around about, off the top of my head, I think it's about, 750k a year.
0: Okay, so obviously we're not looking at any costs or tax here, but taking off the salary there, it's really not a lot.
1: So, I'm going to say no, it sounds like it's not a lot, but turnover and and gross and net profit are obviously totally different. So, mm-hmm. I'll be really honest. If you're making say 10k a month, you're probably looking at the salary is going to be around 3 to 4k a month, right, for someone mm-hmm. who's for someone who's on that that amount, yeah. So if you want, if you're making twenty k a month, so you can take it off. You can take it off like that, but the the salary is roughly around about two and a half to three and a half a month, and then you can subtract it like that.
0: But of course, other people may say, actually, I'm cool with the hustle. Maybe I'll do that <laughs> in in five or ten years. Yeah, you know. But again, you've you've done the hustle, right? You've built it to this stage, and I think what you've done is. It's very smart because a lot of us entrepreneurs, as you know, are like, "Oh, we can do everything. We can do accounts. We can do legals, marketing. You know, we're an entrepreneur." Yeah. And then what you did was say, "Right, yeah. this dude is gonna is gonna smash it for me." Cool. Yeah. I- I'm gonna take a take a, a step back. And I mean, what has that allowed you to do? You know, hiring someone like this in your life.
1: Yeah. So, to be honest, it's allowed me for the first time in ten years to actually relax. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I just, I've just been relentless for, for a decade, you know, with Australia and the UK and everything I've done, I've just been like a very nonstop energizer bunny. <laughs> and, um, I just decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm early thirties, but I don't want to look back when I'm 40 and think, oh, I'm so glad I spent the 20 years of my prime doing nothing but working my socks off you know so I just took I took some time for me it's it's been really great it's enabled me to do a lot more work for others so I go to Cambodia every year and we run um the apprentice but over there um it's not the official apprentice but we run it with the guy that actually won the Australian apprentice and it's 25 entrepreneurs from around the UK and we go in and teach sales skills and business skills to um, a beautiful orphanage. And then we have like a huge prize at the end. So that's really lovely to do. That takes a little bit of prep. I also founded Project Inspire, which I don't know if you've heard of. It's there on my website, but it was a not-for-profit event. It was meant to be a one-off, but people loved it. So we did it again. (laughs) Um, And that was really just to be real. With entrepreneurs and business owners. So I chose eight of my favourite entrepreneurs in the UK, and each person shared for about 40 minutes what it actually takes mm-hmm. to be really successful in business and in life, the challenges that they face, the shittiest stuff that's ever happened, what they had to do to persevere and get through it. Because it's so easy to look on social media and everyone's got their hair and makeup perfect and they're sitting in the perfect car and they've got the the shiny watch and You know, they're here standing next to the super yacht. You just think, okay, you look happy all the time. We all know you're doing well. Do you ever cry? (laughs) Do you ever throw stuff? Do you ever scream? Do you ever want to quit? Do you ever get nagged out? And I think that watching somebody's highlight reel is very dangerous if you take that as that's what their life is like all the time. So I wanted the dirt. You know, I wanted the down and dirty, nitty gritty. How many times have you nearly quit? You know, how many times a week do you drink wine straight out the bottle? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I want to know that stuff. And people shared it, and they were so real. And I think it just takes the pressure off of people that they don't have to be this Instagram or Facebook perfect, all with my live videos, constantly achieving results all the time. They can have their shitty day and their shitty week and want to quit and know that they're totally normal. And the most successful people feel like that more than people would imagine you know so that was project inspire
0: i love that and i think you know what it's it's so necessary because the world of social media instagram facebook etc like you said it's it's easy to see the happiness the, the watches the, the everything but never know what went into getting that and it, you know when you ask someone they say yeah you know it took a lot of hard work but you don't <laughs> feel the pain
1: no that it,
0: it kind of took to get this so i love that you're doing that and that's such a cool that's such a cool thing to be doing. And it, yeah, it's so needed. Um, mm. So I also remember from your Instagram profile that you teach rent to rent. Am I right?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So when it comes to education, there's obviously loads of people doing it. There's lots of people like yourself. There's people mm-hmm. who have big companies that are purely for education. There's There's a whole spectrum. Now, in your opinion, you know... I say I'm new to property. I'm like, oh my God, this is a minefield, right? I'm a deer in headlights. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who do I know who to pick for education? And what kind of advice would you give to people that they could use to then decide if they're going to educate themselves, who it should be with?
1: Yeah, of course. So I would say this is so important. The obvious thing, which I didn't realise a while that this was even a thing. But again, I speak to people on the phone all the time that are interested in my courses. And, um, and I've heard this more than once that there are people that train strategies that haven't actually done the strategy. And I can't quite believe it's a thing, but apparently it is. So I'd say number one, it needs to be someone who's actually doing the thing. (laughs) Because there's having the theory and simply passing that on, but there's having the experience and the belief of the practicalities that will really give you the the education, knowledge and inspiration that you need. Um, So someone who who walks the talk. I would also say someone who's doing it currently so they understand the changes in the market, um, any new regulations or legalities around the strategy. Someone who can promise with their hand on their heart that they will give you every single thing you could possibly need to be successful. And at the end, there's not going to be an, unless you buy this, then you won't be successful because that's very frustrating for people. So you want almost like a business in a box where people say, as long as you follow the strategy and the one, two, three steps that we give you and you don't reinvent the wheel and you have a good attitude and you don't give up, you will succeed and just someone or a company that resonates with you you know people are very opinionated and that's absolutely fine but if you feel like you've got a bit of beef because of this or that well don't train with that person or that company pick someone who you think oh i love it like you just know in your gut right so as long as all the above boxes are ticked i think you're good to go
0: i like that i think those are solid tips and you know it, for people listening, it can it can take a bit of time to decide. Uh, sometimes it can be instant. You hear someone and think, "Wow, I I really like what they're doing," but don't rush into anything. I think I would uh, I would say to to add to your advice, Katrina. So, in terms of you know, uh, before you mentioned commercial conversion, can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, totally. It's nothing that's actually happening right now, but we're looking into a few different um strategies to bring into Kendall Bay. So deal sourcing, deal packaging is one of them, um, and commercial conversions is another. So we don't have a deal on the table or figures to talk about or anything like that, but we've got our eye out um and we've seen a few in York and we're literally just we're in the viewing process. So it's nothing to shout about from the rooftops just yet <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um but again it's just it's about building you know my my mentor rob moore always talks about it but it's about building those multiple streams of income you know so now rent rent is set up it's fully done we didn't get distracted matt and i get paid every single month really well and then and then the rest of the profit is banked for purchases and it runs it's done box ticked next thing so obviously there's the education which is which is really fun and we really enjoy doing that. That was never a profitability business. We only started the education because people kept saying, how have you done this? And then we started to teach it, or I started to teach it before Matt joined actually. Um, and my mentor told me often said, if you don't start charging for this soon, Kat, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be happy. I was running my, my rent-to-rent training for free <laughs> because I just wanted to help people. Wow. Um, and they said, look, you need to understand that you've spent a lot of time and money gaining this knowledge and experience to give it away for free you don't you're not valuing your own knowledge and experience but also other people won't value it as much if it's free and I said look if I'm going to charge another person to sit my course I'm going to create the most incredible mind-blowing course in the country and and I believe it's it's the best, if not one of the best rent-to-rent courses out there in the UK. And then from there it's like, right, now those two are set up and done. Let's get someone in that will have on a, a salary and commission to deal source, and they can do that. And then we'll, you know, we're purchasing and and looking for the next commercial conversion in the background. So they're all they're all kind of going on at once, but it's so important to solidify one before you start the next, otherwise you really would turn into a bit of a headless chicken, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's solid advice. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think there's there's so much you can can give for free, but also when it's a full training course, it is difficult, I think, to justify it for giving it for free because, you know, it's your time. It's, it's a fair exchange. And I think, yeah, so it, it's good that you did charge for it. And I think also maybe, you know, I might be wrong, but people may want it more when there's a charge because they're like, ah, you know, it's the, it's the course. There's no upsell. There's no free sort of messing around. So actually it can, it can can be better when you, when you charge for these things. Um, So obviously you've um, outsourced your, your rent to rent pretty much entirely. Now when it comes to the future things like commercial conversions, like purchasing, (laughs) are you going to be personally quite active in those?
1: No, no. So I'll be really honest with you, Tej, and I've, I've been honest with the team as well so that everybody knows where we all stand. I've lost interest in the actual doing side of property. I was never doing cartwheels about property itself, but it was what property could do for my life, for my team, and for other people's lives. So once I'd actually created it, It was kind of a relief to step away. So when it comes to the commercial conversions and the deal packaging and that kind of stuff, it will be Matthew and potentially new members of the team that will hire that will just manage that and take it on. And obviously their pay will change if they're doing big commercial conversions. It will probably end up more of a a partnership on certain projects than, than the dynamic that it is at the moment. But it's not something I'm interested in getting involved in, to be honest, Tej, I'm really not. The HMO purchasing side, I do myself personally because I do have a passion for the way that we create the homes. Um, but for the rest of it, I'll, I'll keep an eye and I'm I'm happy to help train people. But day to day, no, I'm just, I'm so passionate about the business side of things rather than the property side of things that I'm just moving into training more business in general so that anybody doing any strategy can come and train with us, and they'll take away so much rather than it just being rent to rent, you know.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And that leads me to my last question, as we yeah. reach the end of the podcast. What are your goals for the future? I mean, give me any time frame, but let's say, what are your top three goals—personal, career, fitness, travel, anything?
1: Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can fit it into three, but I'll try. <laughs> so. I think my biggest goal really is to have the companies run successfully but no longer be based in the UK. So I don't know if that will be one year, five years. This isn't a tomorrow goal. Um, but after spending five years in Australia, when the time comes to you know get married and have children, um, I can't envisage that being here in York, um, which is exciting. I've got a few... A few places on my radar, but for a few different reasons, I can't say yet. <laughs> um, but just to explore the world is is really important to me. Um, to continuously grow business, of course. And I've got people always say, "Oh, you've got you've got a book in you. You should write a book." But I'm not going to write a book just so I can say I've written a book. I think when the time comes. I've got everything I want to put in there. That would be really fun to do. Um, And also I'd love to create, I've actually started, I don't know if you saw my Instagram last week, but just something global. So I think I'm going to call it something along the lines of entrepreneurship essentials, but all of the things we teach on the academy actually get the results so the strategy, yes, it's very basic, I can teach you that in a day, but the other the other day is the mindset, the attitude, the focus, determination, law of averages, sales skills, marketing skills, negotiation, and that counts for all business, they're the reasons why businesses fail so i want to package that into a really powerful course and i think we're about to do the third and final ever project inspired to launch that and take that onto more of a global platform obviously online and then in person in, in whichever country i'm in um, i think they're the top 3
0: i love that and i love your honesty before about you know you've, you've lost interest <laughs> it's a risky in i in... want to
1: say but i can't lie to you Ted. no
0: it, it, you know look it's it's good to hear because you know people people don't necessarily love property. They, some some people do it for the freedom it gives them to then do other stuff, or they do it because yeah. they love it, or both. And I think you saying that will help people who maybe feel the same, and maybe push them to say, right, actually, me yeah, <laughs> let me yeah. let me outsource it like you did yeah. because I don't really enjoy it. So no, I I really really do appreciate the honesty, and I know. Everyone listening will. Now, if anyone wants to get a hold of you to have a chat, to say hi, to you know, keep up with what you're doing, where's the best place to find you?
1: So if they want to um head to my website, it's Katrina Jones and it's just dot uk there's no co or com. Everything's on there. It's if you go to the rent to rent tab, there's a video that shows you what the the weekend course looks like. um there's a tab for for one on one mentorship and coaching. You can see project inspire on there. There's a bunch of free downloads. So all the podcasts I've done. I, I'm a columnist for the HMO magazine So every two months when I finish my article and it gets published, that gets uploaded to the website. There's a whole bunch of things: free rent to rent training and hours and introduction. Of course, there's an invitation to the academy at the end, but it's not a sales pitch. It really is as much information as I can give you on rent to rent And if you choose not to come on the course, it's fine. It will be really helpful training anyway. So all of that's under the um, website as well. And then if, if anybody's considering training with us or anything like that, they can head down to the bottom of the rent to rent page and, and click to book a phone consult with me. And I just do a 20-minute a complimentary call to support people if they're ready to go but they've just got the odd reservation or they're concerned or what about my area or something like that you know
0: awesome i love it well katrina thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure pleasure.
1: thank you so much for having me it's been it's been awesome i really appreciate it
0: if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin
1: and youtube for more great content